A few years ago, we grew and sold a business that forever changed our lives. At first, we really struggled trying to figure out which tools to use to help run and organize our community. But that all changed once we discovered Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part, Kajabi doesn't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So you keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash M-U. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash M-U. Go to kajabi.com slash M-U and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. More and more entrepreneurs and investors are discovering the awesome franchise opportunities that exist across a variety of industries. Franchising can simply be the better path and interest in franchising is at an all time high. Lucky for you, John Austinson, founder of Fran Bridge Consulting and a past Millionaire University guest is here to help you explore the premier franchise opportunities today. John and his Frambridge Consulting team are part of the largest franchise brokerage in the U.S. and have vetted the market thoroughly. Frambridge is hands down the premier source for the best opportunities in the franchise world, including both active and passive opportunities. From tiny homes to youth soccer to industrial hoses to pets, senior care to mental health, and more. John has served as an Inc. 500 franchisor and is a multi-brand franchisee himself. And he does more placements than anyone else in the country. Sign up for a free consultation call with John today or get a free copy of his book, Non-Food Franchising, at FranBridgeConsulting.com. That's FranBridgeConsulting.com. Available in the U.S. and Canada. In today's lesson, we'll be discussing one of my favorite business ideas and topics, software. And how you can use software to grow your business or create a software or SaaS business of your own. Hey, hey, what is going on, my fellow and future millionaires? Hope you are doing absolutely fantastic today. For those of you who've been following our wild traveling adventure, we just got to Sydney. We've been in Australia for almost a month. We'll be here for a few days before taking off to New Zealand. Australia is amazing. This country is beautiful. Never in my life have I seen so much coastline with so few people. I went for a run yesterday morning along the beach and literally within four miles saw one person. Absolutely gorgeous, beautiful area. Was completely insane. Of course, we were in a smaller town. We just got to Sydney. I know it's going to be a lot busier, but we're excited to explore Sydney as well. So if you are from Australia, congrats. It's amazing. I love your country. 
If you've ever wanted to go to Australia and can make it out, I highly recommend it. Let me know when you're going. I might join you. We've actually had a couple fellow Aussie MU listeners reach out to us while we've been here. We're going to meet up with one of them in a couple days and they're going to show us around. They actually live right here in Manly Beach, which is where we happen to be staying. So we're super excited about that. And if anyone listening happens to live in New Zealand, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe we can visit some more listeners while we're out and about on this crazy family adventure around the world. So in today's episode, I was finally able to catch up with my good friend and business partner, Trey Richards. We kind of talk about it a little bit in this interview, but a couple months ago, I was talking to a friend who's been wanting to start his own software company for a long time now. Now, I personally don't really know a ton about software or software development per se, but I can spot an opportunity a mile away. And I love bringing people together to create those opportunities. So I reached out to Trey, who's the smartest, best software developer I know, and said, hey, can you hop on a call with me and my friend? And I thought I'd be doing a lot of talking on this call, but once Trey and this guy got talking, it was magic. Literally within a half hour, they came up with at least 10 amazing software and business ideas. My mind was just blown. Ever since that day, I knew I had to get Trey on a call and do an interview for the Millionaire University podcast. Now, my main objective of this call was I was thinking, hey, let's get on and just rattle off like 10, 20, 30 business ideas. But it kind of took a different twist. And I think it took a better twist. Now, we're also working on a blog post to go along with this podcast, but it's not done quite yet, and I need to publish this thing in about an hour. That's one of the things about being on the other side of the world. I can kind of cheat because it'll be 3 a.m. California time in about an hour, but it's 8 o'clock p.m. Australian time, so... But the blog post should be done in a few days, so go to millionaireuniversity.com slash blog to check that out as well. Now, I started this interview out by asking Trey a question that I asked him several years ago before we started working together. And I'll never forget the answer he gave me. Check it out. You once told me that there might be a software developer as good as you in the world, but you just haven't met them yet. What did you mean by this? At the time, I think that the comment was primarily... To say that I am confident I could build anything out there in software. But I also think that a healthy amount of arrogance makes a software developer go from good to great. And and I have that arrogance, I guess. So elaborate what makes a software developer great. If somebody is wanting to start a SaaS company or find a good software developer to either hire or partner with, what would they look for? It's the intangibles, but I think maybe if we just use a parallel industry, you come from a background of construction and home building type world, right? And there are two types of people in the world. If I simplify things down, there are hammer swingers, And there are architects. There are people who are great. Like you point them at a nail and you give them a hammer and they're going to knock that nail into whatever you're hammering, right? Like these are the hammer swingers. And then there's architects who can see the whole picture and they can plan what needs to be built. And honestly, like... Once they're at that level, they probably can swing a hammer too, right? Swinging a hammer is not that hard. 
In software development, it's kind of the same thing. You have these software developers who speak the language, right? Like they know how to make something happen with a computer, but they don't have the vision for architecting a project mm-hmm. and then seeing it through. So they're just hammer swingers, right? They're the they're like the construction workers of the world who just are like typing out code. But they have no idea, right? Like they might be building a wall, but they have no idea what the house is supposed to look like. They're just building a wall. And then there's the architects who can see the whole picture and they can plan for contingencies. They know where the electrical outlet needs to be. They know where they need to run the plumbing. They know how to build the whole house and they know where they might stumble. They know where they need to add a little bit of extra material, whatever it might be, right? So the same thing happens in software development. In fact, one of the companies that I'm involved with right now We had somebody working for the last several weeks and they're not going to work out, unfortunately, but the reason that they're not going to work out is because they're just a hammer swinger. All the tests we put them through, they did really well at the tests. And then when it came down to it, we asked them to do a task. They were incapable of actually like completing a task from start to finish because they couldn't see the whole picture. What they wanted was me to point them at a nail and tell them to knock that nail in. They couldn't figure out how to complete a project. All they could figure out was how to do a feature, right? All they could do was like knock the nail in. Which would have been okay if that's what you were looking for. Totally, yeah. In a big software development, like an enterprise group of like 20 developers, you've got like a developer who you can say, hey, here's 20 nails, go knock them all in, then that's great. But when you're working as a startup, you want somebody, and again, it's kind of intangible, but you need somebody with that architect mindset, somebody that can see the whole picture, know what they're building, and feel confident that they can do it. You need somebody with that like arrogance that we talked about before. Not like a level of arrogance where they're like difficult to work with, totally. but you need somebody that knows that they are the boss of that computer and not the other way around, right? Like they tell the computer what to do and it does it. I remember uh, when I played at BYU, which I didn't do a ton of and we weren't that great, but we had some of the old time players come in who were pretty good. And I remember one guy getting up and talking about like they had a swagger about them, right? And so in a way that could be arrogance, but it's not arrogance to the point to where you don't think you can lose and Right. It's it's a, a confidence and a stepping in being like, I'm going to do this under no circumstances. I'm totally, this totally. I had I had an employee once who came to me one time and told me, I don't think that we can build this about a project we were doing. And I said, well, look over here, somebody built it. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, yeah, they they built it, but I don't think we can build it. I said, what do you mean? We're the software developers. Like if we can't build it, who can? Like software (laughs) developers build software. Like we're the ones that build this, you know, but he didn't have that confidence. And unfortunately, like, again, he didn't work out in that position, but that like, I should have seen, this was early in my career. I should have seen at that exact moment that he wasn't going to work out because that one statement it it's over right Holy. as soon as you admit that in fact this is this is a huge um tangent so i apologize if it's a problem but 
Um, I think you knew Damon Huffman, uh-huh. right? So Damon was in the late 90s, for those that don't know, Damon was like top guy in Supercross. Like he was the real deal, like top three in all of the like major tournaments in Supercross in the world. And I think like for two years, he was the top guy. Um, like he won the the whole thing. So he once told me that I asked him like how he knew it was time to retire. And he told me that he was sitting in the hospital one time and he couldn't even tell me what it was for. He was like, maybe I broke my leg or whatever. (laughs) And he was kind of like, that's just, that's just the name of the game, right? When you're, when you're sitting there. But he said at one point he had this thought. He said he didn't take any action. All he had the thought of was, man, I'm tired of getting hurt. And he said that as soon as he had that thought, he went from being top five in every race to being top 10 in every race. Just having that one thought of, man, I'm tired of getting hurt. And he was no longer at the top of his game because his mindset had shifted to where there were guys who did not care about getting hurt, right? They were putting it all on the line. And something even subconsciously had clicked in his head that told him, I don't want to break my leg today. And that was enough to set him back in the pack. And so I think the same thing in business in general and also as a software developer, right? You need that, like you said, swagger. You, You need to not have that fear of breaking your leg. Or if you do, you're probably going to fall from top five every race to top 10. Because you're not out there putting it all on the line every time. So I was getting major chills the whole time you were saying this because you're right. You you called it. It's not just in software development. It's in anything in life and it's in business. And I see it all the time in business. And even within myself, there have been times when I've gotten out of the game. I think you've seen it in me as you've seen me like coming back from like retirement or whatever. And there have been times in my mind where I was like, I can't do it. And I had to change that mindset to be able to get back in the game, if you will. And I see that all the time and the people that we work with and we've worked with in the past. If you don't believe you can do it, forget about it. And I love that you said, oh, wait a minute, other people have done it. So why can't we do it? Totally. Let's take a step back real quick give us the two minute how you got into becoming a software developer i was going to say you currently your business is you build software for other people but that has led you to other opportunities so i don't know if that's your main focus right now i mean i know you're doing some other stuff in some different industries but i digress like how did you get into this give us a little bit of context and then we'll go from there and how other people maybe get into software or, or use software in their business or whatnot How I got into software is pretty easy. I grew up and was interested in computers. And then I I decided, hey, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to be an engineer. I liked math. So I went to college and I actually started as a, a, a computer engineering major, which is more on it has a more of an emphasis on hardware kind of like a blend between hardware and software, like electrical engineering and computer science. And I took my first couple hardware classes and just hated it. Mm. I thought that I was going to really like, you know, the like circuitry and everything. And, and I just really didn't. And at the same time, I just, I loved my software classes 
And so it became a pretty easy decision for me just to like shift my entire focus. So I shifted over to computer science and just focused on software. And then honestly, it became, I don't know if an obsession is the right word. Like I I don't think it was ever unhealthy, but it became my life. Like for, for several years, I'd say for a good five or six years, Software was what I did for school, what I did for work, and what I did for my hobby. It consumed my life to some degree, which I think, honestly, to become great at something, that almost needs to be the the way that you look at it, right? Like, if you're starting a company or whatever, like, you almost need to make that be your occupation, your education, and your hobby, right? You can't look away and expect to be an expert in that. So that was how I got into software and how that kind of like blended itself into starting a business. Honestly, and and you know this about me, I'm a fairly conservative guy, like at, at my heart. And I don't know that like my nature is very entrepreneurial. Yeah. But while I was in school, I, I took a class in college that where they brought in a bunch of startup companies and really they were pitching to try to get like students to want to go work for them. Mm-hmm. Right. But I was sitting there and I was watching all these companies go through and I was thinking, man, like that's a bad idea. That's a good idea. That's a bad idea. And I was thinking, man, a lot of these ideas are going to fail. Right. It's just, you know, like I'm sitting there kind of judging these people, which yeah. right or wrong. Right. And I was thinking, you know what I should do is I should just start a company where I build all these people's software and I don't care if it succeeds or fails, (laughs) right? That's their problem. And so that was my conservative, like entrepreneurial thought was like, well, if all I do is just build what they want and then they can go on to succeed or fail, then like my company's a success, whether everybody succeeds or fails. Well, I think what you're saying is you were mitigating your own risk. Not that you didn't care if they succeeded, but if they didn't, like you would do your part. Oh, totally, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not going to build like a a junky piece of software for them or anything. (laughs) I'm just saying that like if the idea is good or if it's bad or if it's amazing, right? Or it's like why? Well, a lot of it depends on the execution, right? It does, it does, it does. But in my mind, building like all of like having involvement in all of these different things, right? It's kind of like putting my eggs in as many baskets as I could. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And so that was like my approach to starting a business. And that's kind of like you said, I, I now am involved with several different companies, you know, one of or two of them that, you know, we're kind of, uh, doing together. (laughs) So, so we have, (laughs) Like I, I am now a little bit more entrepreneurial minded than than back at the at that point in my life. Totally. But when I first started, that was my approach to okay, I, like this is how I can do this conservatively. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, we're all in different stages in our life, and risk mitigation is key at any point in life. And sometimes you can be a little more risk averse depending on where you're at, right? So how many different businesses have you been a part of in helping build software or advising? Or how many different softwares have you helped those businesses build? That's a loaded question. I don't know. Probably over 100. It's a really big number. I don't know the answer off the top of my head, but... For 12 years, my full-time, like I said, it was my like education, business, and 
hobby was building software for people. And at one point, my development company got fairly large, like 30 something. I mean, you probably know. That was before well. I came in and destroyed it, like basically, maybe. is what you're saying. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, no, no. I think. I think it like peaked it. What like even when you were involved, I think it peaked at thirty um, developers or something. I mean, we we got fairly large, and and I had my hands in in almost everything that we were doing. So yeah, I'd say definitely over a hundred projects so for sure. A couple months ago, I was on a call with someone. I won't say we. You, you and I got on a call with someone who. I was thinking about and still am open to starting a business with. They're involved in a certain company. They're in, in sales. They're one of the top sales guys for this company. And it was so fascinating for me to sit back and listen to you two talk. I thought I would be the main, main one talking, and I just let you guys talk. And literally on that conversation, I'm pretty sure easily within like half hour. I mean, the beginning was kind of more just introduction talk, but within a half hour of the meat of that conversation, you guys came up with at least 10 software business ideas that could become like multi-million, maybe like billion dollar companies if, if executed and sold. Right. So this just blew my mind. And ever since then, I wanted to get you on and just riff and just talk about all the different uh, software ideas that people could use to start their business. Now, before we get into that, I just want to say, I know nothing about software development. Trey knows a ton about software development, but we're in business together. Like we own a software company together. And as he mentioned, I'm getting involved in, in another thing that he's doing, right? Um, so to get involved and be a part of a software company or use, a, use software in your company, like you don't need to be a software developer, but you might be, you might know about software development. You might learn how to develop software. You might. What are what are some other ways you can get involved in a software development company? We should probably take a minute to explain like what regular software is, also versus like SaaS, for example, just in case anyone doesn't totally understand that. So, all right, I'll let you talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think there was maybe like yes. thirteen questions. <laughs> I tend in to do there, that. So let me <laughs> let me see. What, I'm gonna shut let up, me see bro. what I can cover. So, I I think. I think there's a couple of, of things, right? And I think a lot of it depends on where you're at in your like journey as an entrepreneur. But I think like if you think about software, right? Um, I remember, I, I remember at one time I was in the a board meeting with a fairly large action sports company. Um, who I, I was overseeing all of their like software development, all of their e-commerce stuff. And um, the CEO was there. He was the founder of the company. And we're talking about building this app and it's going to let you like try on like these, I think it was for ski goggles, right? And we were going to do this whole experience where you could see what it's like if you're wearing the goggles versus not, and you're like going down this mountain and you can kind of like see, see the different visions. And, and I'm like kind of pitching them on the idea also like collaborating with them. And at one point the CEO said, um, and it was, it was just to the room and, and mostly to his staff because they were getting a little yeah. bit out of control with what they were asking me to do. And he says, guys, we're an eyewear company. So if you if we want to build software, 
I need to understand how it's going to sell okay. more eyewear. Like I need to know how is this going to sell more glasses? How is this going to sell more goggles? Because we are not a software company and we're not trying to make money on software. And, and I think that that sentiment is important as you're like going about, you know, running your business, starting your business is you need to identify what is your product and is software your product? Right. Like, are you a SaaS company or are you trying to sell licensing to a certain piece of software or are you a, like a different type of company and software is a tool in your arsenal to build your company better? Right. And neither is the wrong de- neither is the wrong um, decision, but I wouldn't be. I don't know that I would recommend trying to be an eyewear company that is trying to like sell software. Hundred percent. Right? I, I don't know. I'll kind of elaborate on that a little bit, even though I know you have thirteen more questions that you need to answer. Mine. So we have a company called Five Oak. It's a review automation software. That is a software company. Now, at some point, we might put that into like education so people are learning about review automation and building businesses and the importance of it but the objective will be to sell more software now on the other hand i have millionaire university which is an education company but i've had about 10 different software ideas that could help sell a future future programs in millionaire university but they're it's different right so and that that's that's a great example right like where millionaire university is the product yep Versus Five Oak being the product. Yep. Five Oak could use podcasts, right? Or could use totally. content, digital content to sell software. Yes. And Millionaire University could use software to sell the education, yeah. right? But like as a whole, you have to figure out what is your product. And that doesn't exclude you from using software. It just is important, right? Like when you go to the grocery store, right? All the grocery stores now have apps where you can like buy your groceries and then you can drive into the parking lot and open the back of your car and somebody like puts all the groceries in right these people did not develop these apps because they want to be software companies they did it so that you'll buy their groceries right like their groceries are their product but they're awesome apps and and it makes it so much and it does not mean that you cannot have a software product and an education product like Russell Brunson with ClickFunnels like he sells a ton of education it doesn't mean you can't do that you just need to understand what your goal is is what we're saying. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Want to know a secret? There's more to becoming a millionaire than making money. We talk a lot about building businesses and taking the road less traveled to achieve your goals. But the most successful entrepreneurs we know will tell you investing and growing your money is an essential component to creating wealth, which is why we're really excited about today's sponsor for this episode, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. It's never too late to start growing, and it's never too early either. You've heard us say about a million times on this podcast that it takes small, consistent steps to build big results. And we love Acorns and how accessible it is to people at all levels of investment knowledge. So head to acorns.com forward slash MU or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier one compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash MU. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC. Acorns is an SEC registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. 
Shopify has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash MU, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash MU to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash MU. So... And then, yeah, so there's all different types of software, right? So like kind of elaborating on that, you know, Justin mentioned SaaS. So SaaS, for anybody that doesn't understand, stands for software as a service. And this is like kind of becoming the norm in software nowadays, I'd say. Um, It's definitely the way everything is trending is... In the past, right, you bought a piece of software. Let's say you bought like a CD, right? I don't have a CD. I've got like a, co- a coaster yeah. here, right? <laughs> so you bought a you bought a CD, and now you have you own this license to this piece of software, right? And you you go to Best Buy, you buy your CD, you like go home, you put it in your computer, and now you're like running this software, right? So that's like kind of your standalone like software license and those types of deals are are kind of going away right there still is software that you can purchase a license for and kind of own that but a lot more of the industry is moving towards this like subscription model right and now you're kind of looking at software as a service where it's cloud-based you're subscribing, all the infrastructure and computing power is in the cloud and you're able to consume it on your wristwatch or on your phone or whatever, right? Even as we're recording this podcast, right? We're, we're using this like um, podcasting software. We're talking to each other across the globe, right? Yep. And this is SaaS, right? Yeah. We didn't buy a license to this software you're subscribing to it and and it's all cloud-based well not only a license like we're paying 30 bucks a month to use descript which also includes i just we just changed it up from riverside to uh what anyway whatever this is squadcast which squadcast uh descript bought squadcast okay not i'm getting into the weeds here but the point is we're paying $30 a month, but if if I wanted to have Trey or someone create this software just for my use, it would probably cost like a few hundred thousand dollars or something like that, right? I don't know. You know more than I do, but... To- totally. So so it's like it becomes a service, right? Software yeah. as a service is SaaS, right? And a ton of people can use it, which helps it more affordable for everyone, but also makes it profitable for the person who created it. Totally. And so... 
so software as a service is one way to go, right? There's like independent licensing. I'd say the biggest model of like the licensing model that still exists nowadays is maybe like the app store mm-hmm. or something around that, right? Where you like, you pay 99 cents and you download an app and now it's like on your device. You don't have the CD-ROM anymore, but you have the app store. You can re-download it whenever you want. But even that, right? We're kind of seeing that like, go away a little bit right a lot of these apps are like very like server backed cloud-based things um where they have an app as like a front end to it but at the end of the day it's um it's still SaaS. but i'd say like if you download angry birds on your iphone right that's more like the traditional like software licensing type a arrangement that you're you're doing you give them 99 cents they give you angry birds and, and you play angry birds and then you also have like internal software that's maybe not something that you're selling to other people but you, you build it yourself right to your point if we built this like squadcast system and then you just used it yourself nobody would know it existed you paid for the development of it, you own it, you own all the intellectual property that goes with it, and you maintain any infrastructure that it requires to run, right? So those are kind of, I'd say, like the three major routes that you can take with software, right? Like you build your own SaaS, right? You rent it, maybe is the right way to say, or you license it. And then from there, you just have to decide you know, what is it that you're trying to use the software for? And then you can decide what's the right route for the software that you need to use. And I think, Justin, I think you put it really well when you said, like, Squadcast, right? You pay $30 a month versus it being, you know, a couple hundred thousand or whatever it would cost to build. Like, how many months are you going to get at $30 a month before it would even make remote sense to build something like this? Totally. And even just to maintain it would be more than $30 a to- month. Totally. Right? So it's like... And so so I think that, like, there's some... You know, I've worked with people in the past um, who love the idea of owning something, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they put such a high value on owning something versus just getting the utility out of it totally that it causes them to make maybe um in my opinion a mistake right like clearly that's what they value and i I don't know that we can call into question what other people value but i have watched people decide to build rather than to license or use something that exists already and in my opinion, you know, it, it, like looking at it financially, it was a mistake, right? Financially, it, it was, there's never going to be a moment where they pay that software off. But like I said, that's what they value, right? So they were willing to put the money in so they could own Squadcast rather than pay their $30 a month. And look, if you're like a billion dollar company and you invest 100000 in a software tool that improves your entire infrastructure, that makes sense. Totally. But if you're like a broke, struggling entrepreneur spending a couple hundred thousand dollars for something internally, that doesn't make sense. However, if you're going to create a SaaS company, then investing in that could make sense depending on the situation. Totally. So I may have lost track of the 13 questions, but... Well, what I want to dive into now, if you're down, is I'm not necessarily like pushing that software is better 
than e-commerce or education or a different kind of business. But software is one of my favorite business models because there's so many ways to get into it. There's so many different things you can do with it. And also, Trey, something we were talking about the other day when we were talking was with software, it's like you build, like imagine if you could build a house and then sell that same house to like a thousand people or 10,000 people or half a million people, right? Like it's insane. So software, you build it and then you can sell it again and again. Now you may not be selling it for the full value, you know, of that house per se, but it's this recurring income stream that you can create from building something once and then just maintaining it, right? Do you want to elaborate on that at all? Totally. Yeah. And it's funny when you were saying that, right? This is like not related at all, but I'm thinking like, yeah, that's why people are trying to do all this fractional ownership with real estate, right? Is because they like want to be able to like sell that same house over and over again. But I think, I think that that is like, if I was to say, what is the most unique thing about software as a business, right? Or as a product, I should say, maybe not as a business, but software is a product for a business. I'd say that the most unique thing is its inherent scalability, right? If you have an e-commerce company and you're selling some kind of widget, right? You're selling a, a coaster for drinks. You have to have a huge amount of inventory in order to back up whatever scale you have, right? So if one day you're selling five coasters a day and then the next day you're selling 100,000 coasters a day, the likelihood that you have, you know, a couple hundred thousand coasters sitting in your garage is pretty slim because you were only scaled to like a certain point of selling five a day. Yeah. And and that's where software is incredible, right? I don't have to wait for the factory in China to pump out like more coasters put them on a barge, ship them to my house just for me to package them up and ship them out to the buyers, right? Like that process is so long and like it takes forever, right? And software, I push one button and Amazon in their like cloud data centers, they take me from my $30 a month server to my $300 a month server. And all of a sudden we went from five users to 100,000 users and there's like zero effort involved, right? Now, granted, you had to build the software initially, right? And that's going back to your comment about spending a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? And and we're throwing these numbers out. Every software is different. I mean, I've built software for people for $3,000. I've built software for people for half a million dollars. Like it's every piece of software is different and it really depends on how big is the project, how much manpower is going to go into it. Going back to our example of likening software to construction, it really is just like construction. Like if you're building a giant mansion, obviously it's going to take more time and more manpower to build that giant mansion than it is to build a little studio ADU in somebody's backyard. It just is going to take more time. There's like no way around it. And so building software really comes down to the man hours. And that's like ultimately how you got to figure out how to price something. But that's kind of an aside. I think that software is incredible because it can scale. You invest in it once and yes, you have to maintain it, but like building it, you invest in it once. And like Justin, you said, you can just sky's the limit as long as it was built well and with scale in mind. 
But you can also start out an MVP model, minimum viable product. You don't have to bank the farm on it. You can create something, sell it. And then once you're getting a recurring revenue, you can continue to invest in it. Would you say that's accurate? Totally. Yeah. In fact, I think that the book that coined the MVP phrase, is it the lean startup? I think he's got a great example of, I think it was like a grocery delivery business. It's been a really long time since I read that book, but it was like a grocery delivery business. And they literally went into a neighborhood that they thought would be good candidates for this service. And they knocked on people's doors and asked them what they wanted to eat. And they wrote it down on a piece of paper and then they went to the grocery store and they bought it and they brought it back to those people's houses, right? And that was their like minimum viable product for a piece of software. There was no software involved. It was, they were trying out this idea, trying to get a few subscribers and trying to decide, is this even a viable business? But then you can see, right, that is not scalable. Going door to door and writing on a piece of paper what people want for groceries is not a scalable idea. But then if you take that and you turn it into a piece of software and now people are plugging into the software, it becomes way more scalable. So you definitely can start as low as you want. You could have a little bit of software, no software, or you could have a huge amount of software. And a lot of it comes down to how confident are you in the idea? How confident are you in like the business plan surrounding the product? And also how well funded are you? If you like, if you have a million dollars burning a hole in your pocket and you want to build a piece of software, then build a piece of software. But if you have $5 in your pocket and you don't know how to build software, like go knock on somebody's door and ask them what groceries you can go get them, right? Like there's a different, a different way you can take. Totally. Or partner with the right person. Maybe there's someone else who wants to start a business too and they're a software developer. And basically to have a successful software company, you got to have someone to build it. You got to have someone to sell it. And then you have to have like operations, right? And so what are you? You come up with the idea and you're going to help with the operations. Are you going to help sell it? So you can team up with a software developer who also wants to start a business who may not be as good at selling. Like Trey says, he's not that great at selling software, but he can build anything. He is pretty good at selling too. (laughs) I've seen him in action. Bottom line is anyone can start a company. Anyone can start a software company. You don't have to be able to develop software. You don't have to have a ton of money. You can partner with people or you might have access to money. You can just bring the team together and you can be, if you feel like you're pretty good at operations, you can be customer service, right? Just see where you fit in, bring the right group of people together. If it takes a little bit of money, figure out how to get that money. Maybe you have it. Maybe you bring on a partner that has it, right? I was the sucker. I mean, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I was the guy who put in a bunch of money into helping grow Five Oak. Trey put in a lot of his time. And the purpose of this podcast is not get into some of the ups and downs. We can talk about that another time. But it's like we now have this company, for better or worse, right, Trey, that is bringing out like a pretty decent monthly amount of money that now I know you're more involved in the company than I am, but you're not that involved, right? We have other people that are running it and it's kind of self-sustaining at this point. And we still have the hope that someday it'll turn into this big you know, multi, multi-million dollar or billion dollar company. Anyway, so kind of interesting. Yeah, and I and I think that it's important. I'm going to digress just um, for a minute. I know you want to get into something else. No, but that's good. That's good. In, in college, right, I had a couple of buddies and we decided we're going to start, we're going to build a game. One of my buddies was working as an animator for Pixar at the time. And one of them, he had a, a little business where he did some work on cars 
And we were like, okay, Trey's gonna build it. This guy's gonna animate it. This guy's gonna kind of sell, market, and like run the business. So we spent a good amount of time. I mean, like the better part of a year building this game. And this was like when mobile games were still, you know, that like Angry Birds, like at its peak, like Cut the Rope, right? All these like little mobile games everybody was just loving and they were making tons of money. Mm -hmm. And... Honestly, we were sitting there thinking, if we build an awesome game, we're going to make a gajillion dollars, right? Like, it, we were just like, we just have to get this thing out. Totally. And we built a pretty cool game. It's not it's not available anymore. It was called uh, Save Your Bacon. And it was about a pig trying to escape from a butcher in, in this, like, butcher shop. And it was, like, a side-scroller. Side and the pig's, like, running. And he's, like, running along this conveyor belt. There's, like, saws and fire. Oh, man, and I want to play it. Come on. And Bring he's like holding, he's like holding a chicken and he can like fly when he's holding the chicken. Anyways, and we spent a lot of time and it was like, like I'm a good developer. Like my buddy is a, a great animator and we, we built an awesome game. And I'll tell you, I think that our total sales on that game, we had it going probably for like three years. I think our total sales were probably like $10,000 mm. in three, three years or something. It was horrible. I mean, it, like, it's better than zero, yeah. but the amount of effort that we put into it, it didn't even come close to covering the time that we, we put into it. And the problem was, was we had this idea that we were going to build this software and that was the business, right? We had yeah. no business. We had no business. We only had a product and we thought that the product was the business. Yeah. And so I think it's important that as we're talking about how it's so easy to start a software company that you think about the business and not just the product, yeah. right? If I develop a revolutionary, I've got a box of tissues here. If I develop a revolutionary tissue and it changes everything that anybody ever knew about tissues and I have no business, what am I going to do with this revolutionary tissue? Right. Totally. But people don't think that way about tissues. People yeah. like form business plans when they come up with these physical products. And I think it's easy to slip into this false sense of security that once you build a piece of software, you have a business. And that's not necessarily the case. 100%. And also, like, what is the business plan? Justin mentioned Five Oak. And I think with Five Oak, it, we're not at the spot in that business where we thought we were going to be. But right now, our business plan is to let it grow organically on its own without our like direct involvement and then we hope that we're able to share in some kind of like future liquidation event or, or some something in the future maybe it's making a ton of money in the future whatever right but we hope that we'll share in some future success yeah that the company has but when we started it we thought oh we're going to be like involved in building this and 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 that's just not the way that it ended up going and so I think that you need to be flexible, but you also need to have a business plan, not just a product. Yeah, 100%. And once again, we won't get into all the things that we could have done different from the beginning in that business because there are a lot. But it's still interesting that it's like, oh, we made like all the mistakes in the book and we're still have a pretty good, like if we got rid of all the people that are working on that right now, which we won't, if they're listening, <laughs> we'd have a pretty good, like a lot of people could live off of that income, but we got bigger eyes in that, right? So bottom line is, number one, don't go out and spend half a million dollars on a piece of software, assuming that it's going to blow up. That's all I'm kind of trying to say from that. Like, even if you have the money, have a plan, 
find the right partners, find the right team and or start selling it like as you're building it. Maybe you even pre-sell some of it. It's like, hey, we got this thing going. We need to find 100 people that are interested. There's so many different ways that you can do it, okay? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So with that, let's get into like a bunch of ideas. How many ideas can you rattle off in 15 minutes straight? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ideas, you know, ideas are, are funny. The number of people that come to me almost daily, I have somebody come to me and say, oh, you build software? Let me tell you about this idea I have. Yeah, totally. And they want, and here's the two things they want. They want you to like validate their idea uh-huh. and they want you to build it for free because it's going to blow up. It's going to be a billion dollar company and like you got to get on in on this right now and build it for free, right? Yeah. If there are any software developers listening, don't build stuff for free. That's not a great idea. Unless, you know? unless something very <laughs> legit, they're a salesperson, they've been in business before, but not just some person. Who yeah. I mean, if you have some control over the situation, right? Like I invest my time in things, right? Yeah. Like that game, I don't regret that game at all because I was a one third partner in that. And we were all like not knowing what we were doing. Right. Totally. And I built it for free. But if somebody comes to you and says, oh, you can have 5% of my company yeah. if you build something for free, yeah. like just walk away or tell them what your hourly rate is. Don't build something for free. Unless they've already started, created a billion dollar company and they have a good plan. Sure, there's exceptions to every rule. I'm just saying. (laughs) But most, yeah, I talk about, yeah, like a business, like ideas all the time. It's like so many people have ideas, but ideas are a dime a dozen. But with that, we're going to give you a bunch of ideas. That's our disclaimer. Yeah. So, you know, Justin and I were joking about, I actually think this is a good idea. So we were joking about this idea that you could build, you know, AI is kind of the the new thing, right? So you could build this like consumer facing software. It's kind of a social media type thing. And you just take a picture of your face and you upload it. And then the software gives you a score, like zero to 10, how good looking you are, right? (laughs) And it's just using AI and it's like totally gimmicky. But then like the software, you can say like, yeah, it's public, right? And then there could be leaderboards and you could figure out like who's the best looking person according to this app in the world, right? And you just have like these leaderboards. And (laughs) so I thought that was a funny idea. I mean, you'd have to like have a bunch of ads or something to make that a business, but it's a funny software idea, right? Trey just knows he'd be in the top 10 and he wants everyone <laughs> to know it. So <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, I, I'm flattered that you would think of me. So, you know, there is so many different ideas. I think that you could look at any industry and figure out a pain point for that industry And that could be a software idea, right? So, I mean, let's play a game. Justin, name a random industry. And we did not rehearse this, so we may fall flat on our faces here, but name an industry. Let's see what we can do. We kind of mentioned this the other day, so I'm going to throw out HR, for example. Okay, so HR. 
That's very boring, right? But Super it's... boring. But this is a good point. If you are thinking of pain points, think of pain points for areas of businesses that you understand a little bit of something about. If you've never even worked at a company that has an HR department and you have yeah. no clue how HR works, it's totally. probably not the right area for you to be getting involved Which in. Which is not, I don't know anything about HR. I've just heard you talk to someone about HR. See, and it's funny because I really don't even know that much about HR either, but let's jump in. So in my mind, we've got like hiring, or maybe we even start, we've got recruiting, we've got hiring, we've got payroll, we have like disciplinary stuff, we have maybe like reporting incident, right? Right, Like incident reporting, incident management, and then we have firing and maybe compliance falls under HR a little bit. So we could pick any of these areas. I know that there's a ton of these like really big HR softwares, but let's just hone in on one problem that we want to solve. Uh Let's look at payroll just as an example. I actually think that there's some softwares out there that have done payroll really well. And I, I don't know that I would recommend like jumping in and trying to do payroll, but let's just say, okay, So a traditional company has your HR person, right? On the 1st and the 15th, the HR person has to go through like a giant list. Maybe it's a spreadsheet or maybe it's physical punch cards or whatever, where people are punching in hours for how long they've worked. Now the HR person has to reconcile all those hours, figure out what that person's hourly wage is. And now they have to like write checks based on how much earnings each person has. And there's more complexity in there. There's payroll taxes, there's social security, Medicare. There's like all of these things that kind of get factored in. But if we look at that, that's a fairly complex problem, right? Let's say you have 20 people to every one HR person and that HR person has to look at 15 days of data for 20 people. Like that's a fairly large undertaking and you're paying that person probably a decent amount per hour, right? Like their time is worth a good amount of money. So what if you just had a software where everybody has an app, right? On their phone, they all have phones, they come into work, they tap a thing. In fact, I actually built this same software for the first company that I worked for and people would go in. They actually had QR codes. It was like a little necklace thing they would wear with a barcode on it. And they would have to go to a scanner to clock in, right? So it wasn't like a physical punch card. Now they're scanning with the scanner. The scanner was keeping things in a database. And then in that database, it knew who they were, when they checked in, when they checked out. And then when HR needed to run payroll, they clicked a button. It did all the calculations and actually printed all the checks, right? All automatically. So that's simplifying it to an extent. But then we could go a step further. Let's direct deposit it so we don't have to do the checks. So now people are scanning in and they just get the money directly into their account. Well, then we could go a step further. Let's get rid of the scanner thing and go back what I was saying. Let's get our phones And now people can check in at their phones. And now we're worried, uh uh-oh, like now they could check in when they're at McDonald's and not at the office. So then you're going to like put a geographic bounds on where they're allowed to check in or not. 
And now look, all of a sudden, if that was that HR person's only job, we have eliminated that role at the company. Our software has solved a problem to the extent that we've removed a human from the process. In a lot of cases, that's not going to be true. But HR is a very unique thing where you could literally take like repetitive tasks are some of the best things for software because you can literally remove the human out of the element and that saves a tremendous amount of money. Yeah. So I don't know if that was like a successful experiment with HR, but we just created a whole software idea around payroll, which is solving one of the areas of HR. Totally. And what's interesting, this just kind of tells how Trey and I are different. My brain shut off for half of that conversation, but I see opportunity. My brain is constantly looking for opportunity and you understand and think a different way. And that's what happened, not not to divulge too much about this conversation that I saw you and this other person have, but he sells software for a big HR company. So he's constantly talking to people who are looking for certain things within HR and some things the company he works for has and some things it doesn't or some things that could be improved. So just by him being a salesperson at a certain company, he's easily able to identify 10 to 20 different opportunities that are either missing or could be improved or that are working well within that company. So my point is me know nothing about software. Trey knows how to develop software. Get him on a call with this guy who sells software. And I hope this person comes back to the table because the way I figured it, I think you were saying for the software we were trying to create was anywhere from 50 to $100,000 more or less. I don't remember. So I'm doing this math in my head and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to pay, the concept was I was going to pay this guy essentially what he's currently making for six months with the idea being within six months, he's now bringing in the revenue to pay himself, right? So it's like, okay, I got to invest 50 to 100 to pay Trey or someone to build the software, a software developer. And then I'm going to pay this person, call it 100 to quit his job or 60, whatever it is. For six months, we can have compensation. So I'm looking at $150,000, $200,000 investment. And as I'm running these numbers, I'm like, oh, this is going to be an insane return on my investment, right? So that's how I want to get you guys to think. I know Trey said, if you're a software developer, don't build software for free. But that doesn't mean if you're not a software developer that you can't find software developers to develop something for free, right? Like Trey's protecting the software developers. I'm (laughs) saying, hey, there's so much opportunity out there. There's so many different ways to go out and grow and start a business in software or anything. When I heard you guys talking, I was like, I had a thousand. There's like so many ways to make money in this business, right? Yeah. and, And honestly, every single industry... I think there's always efficiencies, right? Always. Here's just an idea. You know, I just like coming off the top of my head. So I'm sure there's a flaw in here. But let's think about uh, some people may have heard this in the news. It was several months back when ChatGPT was like kind of getting a ton of news. I know it's still in the news a lot, but there was an attorney who wrote a brief using ChatGPT and he submitted it to a judge on a case And the judge found out that it was citing a bunch of case law that didn't exist. It was saying stuff like, based on the precedent that was set in Justin versus Trey of 2026, like it was totally not true at all. Cases that didn't exist. And the judge was pretty upset at this attorney because clearly he like just made up this brief that he submitted to the court, which you can't do, right? 
But I do know that ChatGPT has been phenomenally helpful to lawyers. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people working on stuff. But like, what if you did want ChatGPT to write a brief for you? But what if you just needed a piece of software to go and check the sources? So there's a business idea. Build a piece of software that reads legal briefs and fact checks them before they get submitted. Boom. Right? Yeah. And so I think that almost every industry is going to have some problem, totally. even if there's efficiencies. You're like, oh, I could never compete with ChatGPT. Well, you don't have to. All you have to do is just write a little piece of software that's going to check ChatGPT. Totally. My point is, is that even if there's a huge amount of automation and software already in the industry, there is a way for you to get involved if that's the industry that you're passionate about or that you have an idea for that you could improve. And going back to this person, he was even saying, oh, I don't even necessarily have to compete with my current company. I can partner with them. I can create the software and they'll plug it in. They'll sell it for me. You know, I'm like, oh, wow, like mind blown, right? Right. And I think another way to think of software ideas is we use Slack in our businesses, right? You use Slack all the time with your communication with, yep. with companies that you work with. And you've told me a couple times, ah, I wish Slack had these features or was like this. You believe that you could develop a better Slack. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, and I actually think some people have developed better Slacks. Yeah. You know, if, I, I don't know if any of them are listening to this podcast, but I, I actually think that there already are products that are better. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the traction, right? Totally. Like totally. Salesforce didn't come and buy them for however many billion dollars right? right and so so slack has the the traction they have the eyeballs and so they that's like w- what gets the attention but yeah absolutely i think like slack is not a hard problem to solve right and i think like anything the idea to build a better slack right i could name a few features that i think oh slack should do this better or that better but i don't think that's the hard part right yeah. like I, I think the hard part is, okay, but how am I going to compete with Salesforce? And so to your point, the guy that we were talking to before, he had this idea, well, I don't have to compete. What if I just work in connection with it? And I think there's room for all of the different ideas. If you do want to go compete with Salesforce, then do it. Like, that's awesome. Also say, I think Slack sold, I feel like it was like $212 billion. That comes uh, I think that's high. Trey's going to look it up. <laughs> you think that's high? It might be high. But point is like, you don't need to, quote unquote, 20, 27 billion. Oh, 27 billion. Okay. <laughs> it was a big number. Add an extra zero, whatever. But point is, like, you don't need to sell a product for $27 billion yeah. to be financially free, to achieve your dreams, to achieve your goals, to change your life. You can literally have, call it a thousand, 500 users. I don't know. Well, it depends on what your price point is, right? You could have a thousand users on this thing and you could be financially free, right? So, Think about that. Like, what's a product or service that you could either work with someone to build, like partner with them, maybe pay them a little bit of money, maybe team up with someone like me? Like, shoot, if there's someone out there that you're a really good salesperson and we can pay, I know Trey's pretty busy, so I don't know if he's building a lot of software these days, but (laughs) we can help have Trey help us find a developer and like you can sell me on it. The fact that you're going to go out there and hustle every day and sell the heck out of this thing, I'll invest in you. Or you might have a friend that has a little extra money that they want to invest and they believe in you and and trust you. And there's so many different opportunities for this, right? So anyway, I know we're just past the hour mark. Uh, Trey, do you have any other like 
closing thoughts? I think that it's just reiterating what's already been said, right? Like software is an incredible tool. It's also an incredible product. And to echo what you've said, anybody could start a software company that is selling software. There is no like barrier to entry, right? I will just call out maybe like one or two gotchas that you should look out for. The biggest thing is picking the right developer is going to be big. There are snake oil salesmen out there and they're like, they'll take advantage of you. They'll make you give them a bunch of money up front and then they just will build either nothing or they'll build something that's just total garbage and they've got your money and there's really not a whole lot you can do about that. So pick somebody you trust or somebody that's reputable to help you build your software if you're not building it yourself. And then the only other gotcha is just, you know, make sure that you, you're aware that it's not like a field of dream situation where if you build it, the customers are going to come like you are going to have to run this like any other business. But with that said, there is no reason I have like a nine year old son. There's no reason that he could not go out and start a software company. I think people get like scared or, you know, kind of intimidated because they don't understand software. You don't have to understand software. You just have to have somebody that's either partnered or that you're paying that does understand software. And then anybody can start a software company. It's really not hard and it shouldn't be scary. And I think there's a ton of upsides. I love it. You're a stud, Trey. I've now got two lines in the well. Have one big line in the water and have about to have another line in the water with Trey. We can't talk too much about the other one just yet, but I'm excited about both of those. Trey's going to make me rich time and time over again and again. <laughs> that's, that's why I wake up in the morning. That's no why I wake up in the morning is to make Justin rich. So I like... <laughs> If I don't do it, at least at least we know that was my motivation. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. All right, Trey, anything else we can do for you? No. You're not like trying to get me. clients right now, right? So I can't even like... No, I'm, I'm not. Okay. I mean, I, <laughs> if anything, right? Like if you're starting a business and it's not software oriented, let's check out Five Oak. I mean, that's, totally. you know, something that we're both involved with. But yeah, I don't, I don't need any plugs, but... I, you know, with that said, you know, you threw out there, like, if you can convince you that, you know, for the whole investment thing, yeah. I don't have unlimited time, but I would love to consult and like point people in the right direction. The thing that like hurts my soul is knowing that like people are being taken advantage of oh, or they're too hesitant to start something because they like don't know where to go. It's not that hard like myself or somebody else, it's not that hard to engage somebody to just be your expert. If you got to spend a couple hundred dollars or even a couple thousand dollars to get put on the right path, I think that's something that's worth doing. So I'll put myself out there for that. It's not something I'm looking for, but similar to you, if you can, if you, if you're interested and you need some advice, let me know. Okay, cool. Yeah. I want to point out one other thing. I know we keep trying to wrap this up, but (laughs) Trey took action. He started his business and it was a software development agency, right? Now he's literally in a spot where he has so much opportunity and has some very big, exciting opportunities that have come as a result of him taking action on his business to where he doesn't have time to get paid. Like there's not really, I mean, there's an amount of money, I'm sure, but there's not really an amount of money that you can pay Trey right now to develop. That $27 billion sounds like <laughs> Yeah, <so> exactly. <laughs> 
But that's that's kind of an exciting thing, right? And any skill, learn a skill, take action on it, start growing your business. And it leads to so many opportunities that you literally get to the point where you can't even take them all on. But I love that Trey is willing, and this was not pre-discussed at all, but and open to doing a little bit of consulting because he can consult for half hour, an hour, and that can save you a lot of time and money. So how would someone get in contact with you if they want to do some consulting? Yeah, I mean, I, I can give like an email address. I, you just tell me what yeah, you want Yeah, just throw your email out. So it's Trey, T-R-E-Y, at Tractus. So it's T-R-A-C-T dot U-S. Awesome. So reach out to Trey if you have any questions. Respect his time. Also because I'm heavily invested in his time. <laughs> so respect his time. He's happy with some consulting. It's not free, but he's not here to make money off consulting either. Anyway, just happy to help people out and needs to get paid for it. So, All right. Trey, thank you so much. This has been awesome. It's given me a ton of ideas, which isn't necessarily a good thing because I already have too many ideas. But I have no doubt that it's helped some of our listeners to think of different ways that they can go out and either start or grow their business. So thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, Eric Fisher here. And if you love the conversations and lessons happening on this show, and you've heard my voice before, you'll love my show, Beyond the To-Do List. It's a podcast about productivity and getting things done in all the areas where we wear multiple hats and roles, but also about the true meaning of productivity, living a more meaningful life. Look, you've got a never-ending to-do list, but add this podcast to your to-do list and it will help you tackle the rest. Go right now, wherever you're listening to this, and search Beyond the To-Do List and hit follow or subscribe. Start listening and get that boost for your productivity that you've been needing. Again, that's Beyond the To-Do List. Search in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.